Oh, so strong. Yeah, yeah. That's <clears throat> it's like I'm a I'm a full, you know I'm a practicing Catholic, full believer in God, and uh, I live my life with the idea of providence and that there's providence in everything. It could be the smallest, stupidest thing. Like I'm an avid fisherman. And it's like how many times? How many times did God has God? I tell my kids all the time. Like how many times does God have to prove Himself to you? I go and I give them all these examples of like. If I wasn't late that day to wake up and then I got to the lake and then I caught this giant fish, like, do you guys understand everything that would have had to be connected in order to do that? And you're just going to explain that with like this explosion, this random explosion that happened with all of that? I, I don't think so. Um, Welcome to the Dad Hat. Today's episode features Lance Psycho, an architect and serial entrepreneur. Hey, Lance, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing even better that you got my last name correct. I don't know if uh, Nick told you how to pronounce it correctly, but that was amazing. Hey, I appreciate it. I actually uh, listened to a few things that you've done in the past on your podcast, and I kind of want to bring up uh, your current your company. Uh, is it F9 Productions? Is that right? Yes, sir. You got it right, man. So tell me just a little bit about um, what the company does and your role at the company. Yeah, sure thing. So we are an architecture. F9 Productions is an architecture firm located out of uh, Longmont, Colorado. That's where our headquarters is. And then we have a satellite office in Denver. We have uh, seven architects, including myself and my business partner, Alex Gore. And we specialize in single family homes. It's about 50% of our portfolio custom, it was custom stuff, whether we're doing a, a new house or even remodeling one or kind of a kitchen remodel, that sort of thing. And then the other 25% is multifamily stuff. So think about townhomes, apartments, we're designing those. And then the rest is a, kind of a mixture of light industrial, some small commercial buildings, including tiny houses. We serve all of Colorado. We've been in existence for now 13 years, and I'm happy to announce that we, we won the Best of Mile High Award uh, last week, which basically celebrates uh, uh, the yeah, a very high level of customer service, the highest in Colorado that you're providing in, in your category. And we won that for architects. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, just quick question off of that. Is the tiny house market, is it is it booming right now? <laughs> yeah, because of all the real estate prices, maybe. I don't know. That's so what a good question, because uh, the tiny house is also to frankly answer it is uh, not really. I mean, I mean, I guess kind of there's like there's been so many companies that have spun out of where that originally spun out of, which is the 2008, 2009 recession, great recession. And a lot of that psychology, uh, psychology came from, and it, it's sort of my theory, but it's also half true is like from the uh, Occupy Wall Street you know, reaction to the over overheated uh, housing economy and the over lending. And if, everybody, if anybody, you know, listening has listened, has watched the big short on uh, Netflix or wherever else, that kind of explains it really well. So the tiny houses kind of were born out of that because they were, they were our generations. I'm assuming you're a millennial too, Lee, or close to it. Um, but that, that was our reaction of like, we're tired of the big McMansions, Maybe maybe taking on a giant debt isn't a good idea. And it really exploded out of there. So uh, since then, you know, we'll get inquiries to still build them. I think we're like a higher end designer and builder for them. So people, as soon as they hear this, like kind of the sticker shock, and it usually ends up being like a thousand dollars a square foot. Right. So if you're building a 
2000 square or a 200 square foot tiny house that's gets to 200 K pretty quick. And then people kind of back off and back down, but I still see them all around Colorado. Like, especially in Lyons, Colorado, there's this, uh, there's this tiny house hotel. Um, it's like kind of like a, um, a hostel, like a hostel environment, uh, not, not hostile, but you know what I mean? If you've been to I Europe <laughs> <laughs> and they're still renting them up there, like it's called, we, I think it's called we Casa tiny house hotel. And it seems like we end up building like one a year, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on where the tiny house market is right now. So I'll be interested to see if like, if there is truly an implosion of the, the housing economy, as all the doom and gloomers have been saying, um, there's, we're certainly in a recession, but uh, if anything's born out of there, maybe there's a rebirth of the tiny house stuff. Okay. So I, honestly, I'm not aware that the doom and gloomers are saying that there's going to be a, a housing crisis. I, I can remember, you know, obviously I've seen the big short, but I can remember us talking about, Hey, we have all these, uh, you know, subprime loans uh, that are going to default but they've been mixed with, you know, these certain types of bonds and that's what's going to cause this crisis. Is there something like that going on currently? Uh, yeah, they, they started mixing, they started mixing products again in that way. I mean, every time you, every time you buy, get a mortgage, it always gets resold and repackaged and then they still do the derivatives. They're just calling the derivatives different stuff, but fundamentally the lending uh, guidelines are vastly changed from 2008, you know, during that whole crisis to now. And, and it, the big, the, the one thing that I can point to that is proof of that is back in the day, you know, pre great recession, what really triggered the, what, what made it so that people who didn't qualify for the loans, um, possible is one big thing is they, they didn't have to even put down any like proof of income. I mean, they could just lie on the paper basically. And then the other thing is too, is the, the appraisers were talking to the banks directly and now that's illegal. So like if a, if a heated, crazy heated offer came in, let's say you put your house in the market for 500 K in 2007, if somebody, everybody was buying cause the money was so cheap, you know, there was a lot of like house hacking quote unquote, where people are trying to get rentals, you know, the rental portfolio up. Let's say that $500,000 house, there was a bidding war and it got bid up to $600,000, but it's not really worth that much. And so the appraisers would get shown the offers and then they would appraise up to that level. And it's pure, it was pure cronyism. So those two fundamental things changed. So, uh, you know, I'm of, I'm, I'm a bull when it comes to real estate. So I, I think we're in a recession in the sense of, or a downturn, like obviously prices of went down 10, 20%, maybe even 30% in some metro areas, but the fundamentals are a lot better. Um, so I don't think we're going to see a full meltdown, but then again, what I think first national bank, didn't that just go down? So if we see a liquidity crisis, who knows? <laughs> Boom and bust every time. Well, we're on the show today to talk a little bit about fatherhood and modern society. And I want to pose a question to you. Um, what is fatherhood to you and what are the pillars of fatherhood? Uh, fatherhood to me, if I had to sum it up on word, I, I think it's, I think it's sacrifice. Uh, for me, it's always just been about putting my children first and myself last, even if that means sometimes my body. Um, and I come from that from the standpoint of I'm a half blue collar, half white collar, even though, you know, you introduced me as an architect. I'm also a general contractor and, and, a, and a carpenter essentially. Uh, so, you know, like this building that I'm sitting in, for instance, right now, uh, it's, it was our real estate development. 
And there was a point where I worked for 80 days straight. I, I did kind of take a break for right in the middle of that, but that was because I just got too sick to actually even get out of bed that day. So, uh, and then I can remember even when going back to, uh, from 2012 to 2015, there was a three year stint. My, I, I'm remarried now, but my former wife, uh, now ex-wife, she actually abandoned us for like three years. She went all the way up to North Dakota, or, uh, yeah, up to North Dakota, uh, moved from out of from Colorado and I, I was on my own completely and in 2013 it, during during those years like that was still very much startup phase for the company for my primary company and we weren't really making any money I mean we were just making enough to pay ourselves a salary to basically eat but it was very much paycheck to paycheck trying to keep you know two kids in in private school um, stuff like that so for me it's always just been about about sacrifice and I I think that's, and I look at my dad, I, have, I actually have two dads. I found my real dad when I was 33, I'm 40 now. But the dad who raised me, it's just always been about sacrifice. And I think that's one of the things I took from him is like, your kids come first before anything. Um, because that's your legacy, that's your seed for the future and, and all of that. And I think a man needs to be stoic about that situation. And I don't mean from the standpoint of, I think one of the myths that I dispelled for myself last summer after I read Marcus Aurelius's meditations was stoicism is not about just if, if, if this was called the stoic podcast, you and I would not be just looking at each other and not saying a word. It's not that sort of cartoony thing. It's it's about understanding your place at, at, a, at any given moment in time in the universe. And then what are your chess moves from there? And, and what do you what do you got to do to keep putting food on the table, to keep protecting them, to keep providing for them and doing all of those things? Wonderful answer. So uh, out of these three, which of the following defines fatherhood the best supporter, creator, provider? I, I would have to say provider, because um, I, I think that's probably just on the heels of my last answer that I gave you is, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's what you just do everything it takes. And obviously like every generation does this, right. Is, you know, the, the great generation, they wanted to make sure that the, now the boomers, you know, the, who they born everybody that they had a better life than the, they, than they had. And, and then, you know, the millennials and then, you know, our gen X and the millennials and then gen Z and everything like that. So like for me specifically, I grew up in a very lower middle-class house. Um, dad worked on the farm and that's where his sacrifice came in for us was, he could have went off on his own, but he really was tied to his dad in such a way that like the, the only thing he could really get um, any kind of recognition for was if he sacrificed and said, hey, I'm not going to go off and go work in the oil fields up in North Dakota or start a logging company. And these are all things that he could have done and did do a little bit. Start his own construction company, anything like that. Like his sacrifice was for uh, just stability of trying to keep the farm, the family farm going in that in that kind of way and then thus provide for us. So, you know, he didn't make a lot of money at all. He only worked for like six, six months out of the year, six, eight months out of the year. And then there was a huge layoff in the winter every time. His dad never let him get cattle and he wanted to do that. And my mom has worked the same job since she was for about 40 years now, a uh, dental assistant. And then the area I grew up in was like a town of 500 people graduated with a, uh, 
a class of only 20. And then, it, so in that environment, uh, it was also on a, basically an Indian reservation. So I'm, I'm a federally registered Native American, you know, technically a minority and stuff like that. So the, the I never wanted my children to have to experience just the anxiety of not having money. Like my, one of my favorite quotes is by Ye, and it's, uh, you know, Kanye West, everybody doesn't know who that is, is uh, uh, having money isn't everything, but not having it is. And it, for me, it's not about like possessions. It's about, I want the, my children to be able to come to me and say, because this happened to me, it was like, there was one summer I will never forget my mom, she only, she only gave us like me a pair of aqua socks. And if you're a 90s kid, you remember that. If you're a millennial, remember that. I think they still make them. But like, that was the only pair of shoes I got that summer. I just completely wore them out. And I remember playing a football game with um, some of my cousins and friends at the end of the summer and like getting made fun of because they were like falling off and stuff. And I was just too afraid because I would overhear mom and dad talking and worrying about money so much to even ask for stuff like that. So that's the thing I've tried to always explain to my children is like, dad will always be here for you in, in almost every capacity, but especially as a provider. And you know what I've been thinking lately about like their future. So full disclosure, I have uh, two stepchildren and two biological children. Uh, the oldest two, there's three boys, one girl. The oldest two are 18. One's out in college. One's about to graduate high school. And then a 15 year old son and a 13 year old girl. And as they've gotten to this age, I think the thing that I've now been thinking about is uh, what kind of anxiety can I alleviate from them as, and try to encourage them to start families. And I think for that, it's like, hey guys, I will, if you guys stay in Colorado, I will stay in Colorado. Like, what about, what about us sticking together? Because I moved from North Dakota, so I had no support. And that was my own decision. I mean, I had to do that as trying to be an architect because there's just not a lot of architecture up in North Dakota. No offense, it just is what it is. It's just very utilitarian style buildings, if, if you know what I mean, like shops and typical box houses and stuff like that. And then uh, the other caveat I've been thinking about just telling them, and I might even do it this Sunday after church is like, because we have a breakfast every time or, or dinner or something like that is, uh, Hey guys, like I will be here. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in a financial position to where like, instead of sending the kids to daycare, like you, you could just send them with me and, and, and grandma during the day. So I've, just knowing the, you know, the lessons I learned from being that single dad, and not having that support system and knowing the anxiety. Like if I would have been told that from my mom and dad, if they would have said, you know what, Lance, we want you to have a big family. We want you to have like, we don't want you to base your decisions on only having two children on the idea that we, you know, that you are, have this anxiety about you can't afford them or whatever. Like if your desire is to have four or five, six, eight kids or whatever, then we want to facilitate that because they want, they wanted more grandkids. Well, I didn't really have that support system. So that's sort of a, I didn't even expect to say that today, but I think that's kind of where my head is at when I think about that word provider in its totality. Wow. What a, what an amazing, um, unboxing of that word because you know there's a, a lot of discussion about gender roles which it sounds to me like you believe that they're you know in a family there are roles to be had uh would you say that's true 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, I have a very traditional view of, of that. Especially, I mean, I just had this conversation with my business partner upstairs this morning as I got into, um, you know, mom is usually the softer one. She's usually the one that's more copacetic to feelings. Dad is usually the enforcer. And that's kind of the way it should be. I mean, you've got to have this yin, yin and yang to balance out in life. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, one of the things that I dislike about the media and what we hear uh, in America is we always hear about the fringe. You know, what about the, you know, we got to include these people that are, that are different than the, than the nuclear family or don't have that uh, provider uh, supporter and type of situation. I, I wish we heard more about the nuclear family, the traditional family, because there's a lot of value there. We didn't, uh, have it that way for a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years or whatever in America, because it had no value, you know? So that's just one of the things that bugs me a little bit about the media today, but yeah, great answer. Thank you so much. So, um, comparing fatherhood and leadership in business, what are the similarities and differences in those two roles? Ridiculously similar. I don't even know if there's a difference. Like, I don't know if there's any separation between the two. I mean, if by chance, uh, one of my, let's see here, nine employees, soon to be 10, hear this episode, including my business partner, um, I am not trying to uh, basically patronize them and, and think of them like, oh, you're just a little child and I need to do that. But 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 the concerns are and, and the way you have to tackle their concerns and their anxiety is much the same. You're also bringing up people, especially like, for instance, in our architecture firm, we actually when I recruit for new people, I actually want them to not have any experience. And that might sound crazy to some people, but I'm like, no, they are. I want them to be a ball of clay. And then I accept that responsibility that I'm going to have to mold that ball of clay in our systems, in our framework, in our attitude, in our, our communication style with clients, how we execute the work and all of that. That is, it's much easier to train some, something or somebody that is that, you know, metaphorical ball of clay than it is to try to like unwind and take out the baggage from people, right? I mean, anybody who's just got out of a bad relationship and then they jump right into a new one, you know that that baggage maybe hasn't had enough time to unload itself so that you are starting fresh without baggage in that kind of situation. So the, the way it's so similar is like, I'll tell you two stories. Uh, the first one is uh, my son was having a lot of trouble with his stepbrother. And this is just recently, like in the last week or two, the stepbrother thought he was uh, sn stitching or that my that my biological son was snitching on him and it's completely not true um, you know the source of what the information I got about about some potential drug use was like from an anonymous from somebody else that is it's important for me to keep them anonymous because then if they're anonymous then how she will how she heard that there's this potential drug use going on it will continue because then there's no suspicion. Everybody still feels like, oh, they can talk freely and do all these things and everything like that. So it was it was several meetings. It was a meeting with like my son. It was a meeting with uh, stepmom. And then finally a meeting with stepson, you know, about, a, about an eight to 10 minute conversation just yesterday, smoothing out the whole situation in terms of like, 
here's the here's the real story. Here's why I'm concerned about this potential drug use. And here's the overall arching idea about it. And just trying to take the anxiety and the temperature down and kind of get everybody on that level playing field. So to kind of even speak back to that idea that, you know, if there's if the, the father versus the mother role, I, I think the, the man is typically more logical. They're typically more straightforward. They want to solve the problems rather than kind of dwell in them or talk about them. You know, a very, and I'm a very type A, A to B person, straight line type of thing. So like we're the facilitators for that, right? So I, I, don't, I think it should be no surprise that like, well, the gender roles have been in existence for most of the 99.9% .9 of human history. And then all of a sudden we broke them, like you said, in the last hundred years. And it's like, yeah, now we're seeing the fallout from that, right? So then the other story is, uh, so I had an employee on Friday, this last Friday, they, uh, he left very angry from work that day. It wasn't because of anything I did. It wasn't because of anything uh, even a client did. It was actually the government. He was just like, oh, like, how do you, he asked, you know, what kind of, do you have any tips for the mindset that I should be within? to try to deal with these bureaucrats day in and day out. And this is kind of where the stoicism then plays into is like, I could have tried to tackle the problem right away, but I knew that I needed to just meditate on it for the, for the weekend alongside my business partner too. And, you know, so I sent him a text and said, Hey, Alex sent me this and let's think about like some ways we can try to test, give him some, either the mindset or some tools so that he can, work through this and understand that, you know, you got to be stoic about it, bud. Like we're not getting rid of the government, even though, you know, I even explained like the, uh, the idea that Rothbard says in, uh, for a new Liberty about at the end of his book where he's like, if you could push the button and remove the government, would you do it or not? Um, and I, you know, I, I said, well, yes, I would. And I'm okay with like comfortably removing all of them. And I would do this, that, and the other, I go, but, but you know, the reality is Alex, that even if we did that, we, you can't get rid of the rule of hierarchy, right? And Jordan Peterson outlines that pretty well with the lobsters. And it's like, no matter what, there's going to be a hierarchy. There's going to be, there's going to be the tree that grows the tallest, the taller than the other trees. This is just natural. This is like the natural law that we will never going to get rid of. I go, so, so therefore, if you know that we are never going to get rid of these guys, then, then what can you do? Okay. That's your mindset. You need to be comfortable with that mindset. And then we gave him some other tools, very specific tools and things he could do if he really wanted to take action on it. But again, it was being the rational one, laying out methodically how we're going to take the temperature down, ease anxiety, and then just get back on track. So it's really, a lot of it is like being a rock, you know, that's, that's one thing. Like there was one point where I did, when, when I won my custody battle from my ex-wife after those three years of misery, even though there was still some of the best days of my life for sure. Cause like I didn't, I don't know if I ever took fatherhood so seriously to, except for those three years. But I remember distinctly one day I did break down and cry a little bit and it was in front of the kids. And I, that's where the stoicism, like the truth, like the cartoony stoicism sort of broke down. And I told them like, dad is your rock. Like that's, that's dad. If I had to, if I really had to explain dad, like dad's always the rock. Man, that's a, uh, that's an amazing story. And I think that, um, that experience that three years of semi misery, semi happiness, you know, all these different emotions and different things happening probably made you better as a person. 
Oh, so strong. Yeah, yeah. That's <clears throat> it's like I'm a I'm a full, you know I'm a practicing Catholic, full believer in God, and uh, I live my life with the idea of providence and that there's providence in everything. It could be the smallest, stupidest thing. Like I'm an avid fisherman. And it's like how many times? How many times did God has God? I tell this to my kids all the time. Like how many times does God have to prove Himself to you? I go and I give them all these examples of like. If I wasn't late that day to wake up and then I got to the lake and then I caught this giant fish, like, do you guys understand everything that would have had to be connected in order to do that? And you're just going to explain that with like this explosion, this random explosion that happened with all of that? I, I don't think so. Um, so, sorry, what was the original question? I got off tangent there. There really there really wasn't. But what I was saying was, is a theme that comes up in this show is that you know, hardship, heartache, hard things make a better person. And I just wanted, I just wanted to hear you say, because I, I know it did. I mean, it's just like, it's almost like a, a a law in physics or something that happens because when you get through it, you know, you have more understanding your, your body and mind have uh, undergone some trauma that you've overcome. And now it's like more callous, if you will. And I just love to hear those stories because it's just, that's the story that I think Americans need to hear the story of the underdog, not the story of the victim, the one of overcoming, not the one of, Oh, I'm oppressed. And something that you brought up earlier, you said that, you know, uh, multi-genera- multi-generational housing and uh, maybe helping your children pay for a larger family and that idea. Do you have any worry that that will create affluence within your kids because they didn't have to work hard to save up that money to have those kids or have these things? Or do you believe that they can learn from how you are as a person and, and, and other things to overcome that type of, you know, problem. Oh yeah. I mean, I even worried about it before I had that thought for sure. I mean, you know, full, full disclosure, like we make pretty good money in the household. You know, there's nobody's, the fridge is full, that type of stuff. We live in a really nice house where we designed and built stuff like that. Right. So yeah, I've always had that, that, that worry about that for sure. Even before then. So it's like, okay, now I just need to be, my challenge is, like my mom and dad had technically had it easier then, right? Because I grew up and I'm really thankful for the hard times even there, right? Like just like the hard times with when my ex-wife left me and all it, you're right. It just like it's just exercise for the strong muscles. It's exercise for the resiliency. I'm more thankful for the really, really hard times than than anything, I, I think, because like I'm just like, oh my gosh, what a good lesson. Thank you, God. Fantastic on that. So why I, I just, I, I'm, what I recognize is, okay, I think Lance, you just have to be more hypervigilant about and aware of, of like, you can't spoon feed them. You cannot do the silver spoon. You still need to figure out ways so that they understand the value of money through work and what it took to get that dollar. So they don't just see the dollar and go, now I'm going to go to Starbucks and just blow it right away. Uh, so a couple different ways I've done that is like I, I required my all the sons uh, that have and my daughter last summer, actually, like you're going to come. I don't care if you think you're not going to work like in the buildings I'm sitting in right now. They were they swept them all summer. They swept them all summer. I paid them fine and all of that um, and explained that to them. And then 
last last year, my son, um, I, I did buy him a car, but the lesson with that was, I go, the idea that we're, that I'm, why I'm buying this car for you, Kyler, in this way, I just paid cash for it, it was like 6K, was I said, like, the lesson that my dad didn't teach me properly was that it's not okay to actually take out loans if you don't have to. Like you should try to not get caught in the ursery. You should not get try. You know, should not get caught in the debt traps. And I said, so so what it is is, and I go, you should just you should just do this for your son, Kyler. Is you give him a dad loan, so you still got to pay me back. You still got to get your butt to work. And now he's working super hard at Freddy's. He's taking on extra shifts. He's disciplined with his money for the first time in his life. Those sorts of things. My daughter's going to intern for me for that but i guess the biggest thing is i just try to be completely blunt and honest with them about my intentions behind giving in that way it's not about them you know i just want to re-emphasize to them as like i want you to just feel comfortable if you want to have a giant family i will be here to help you have that giant family it's great because i grew up in a giant family I mean, um, my mom is uh, one of four kids. I have uh, two brothers and one sister, and you know, like a ton of cousins. When I come from this giant Catholic family, and it's a beautiful thing because like those people are always there. And now, now even my cousins are. Uh, we trade business. Um, you know, my, my cousin uh, owns the biggest plumbing company in Williston, North Dakota, and he hired us to design his big fancy addition that everybody's going to enjoy, you know, come Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So I, I definitely think about it, Lee. It's like, okay, now I just got to up the hypervigilance. Yeah, you're basically you're creating understanding when, at the time of, at the point of sale, if you will. Um, you know, you're buying him this car. It's like, listen, you know, I'm getting you this car, but these are the things that you got to understand with, you know, with this car. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote something that kind of relates to what we're talking about. Um, it's, uh, hard times make strong men, strong men make easy times, easy times make weak men. Do you believe that we're in a time of weak men? A hundred percent. Even if you want to go straight to the science, which I know the science is a tricky word now because it's like we've been told trust the science, you know, and then where, where did that where did that all get us? But like the the statistics about the lowering of the testosterone and the birth rates are 100 percent real. That is a scary situation. And I am thankful that my oldest biological like, OK, he's full of tea. We're good. Like, I think he avoided whatever is that, whether it's the microplastics that are actually really taking the testosterone down or it's or it's just the lack of physical activity or the video games or like all the porn online. Um, what, what you know, or, or even just honestly, like we're not smoking anymore. And nicotine actually has been proven to like add testosterone, you know, in your body and stuff like that. Whatever the reasons be, if it's real and it's happening. Um, and I would like to point to the tech sector first and foremost. So like, think about the average tech CEO. I mean, or on average, it doesn't even matter, like point is Mark Zuckerberg. Does that look like an alpha male to you? Does that look like that guy's gonna get out there, swing a hammer, climb a mountain, uh, butcher a chicken, catch a fish, um, come to the door at night with an AR, ready to protect his family? I don't think so. So the, if those people are some of the richest people and influential in the world, 
then that's literally the weak men. And because, the, I mean, the fact is, they aren't strong enough to not censor people, right? Um, and, and not ban people. If they were strong, then maybe all the truth would get out. Um, you know, Bill Gates, look at that guy. Like, I think Joe, Joe Rogan has talked about him and made fun of him multiple times on his show because you look at him and it's like, what's up with the man tits, dude? Like, have some self-respect. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And at least at minimum, I mean, we've seen Jeff Be- Bezos make his transformation from looking like, you know, most women could whip him if needed to, you know, optimize testosterone and who, you know, stem cells and whatever else he's getting into a, you know, my point is, it seems that the physical uh, attributes with those guys come after they have they've gotten to the top of their certain sector or whatever. So. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, we are in a place of weak men. Um, and quite honest, I'm 33 years old. I would say the way I was brought up and um, my understanding of the world uh, led to me being uh, a weaker person for a long time, too, or having a weak mentality in some ways. And I think I really do believe the thing that kept me from just being depressed and not to say I haven't been depressed. I've been depressed plenty of times, not to be anxious, uh, depressed, all those things was competition. And I'm, I'm worried that our, our society and our world is going to devalue competition in a way that, um, you know, the pursuit of excellence, the pursuit of merit goes away. And if that happens, I, I don't know what fulfills those because if I read the science books, right. Or I learned what they were teaching me in science was life and competition are so correlated that, you know, one doesn't come without the other. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I was just ranting a little bit, but (laughs) yeah, it's scary. I mean, it's scary from, yeah, my wife hates when I say this, but I, I, it's half of me. I don't know. I struggle with it. But the, one of the things I say all the time is like life is a competition. Isn't it at its fundamental core? Isn't it at its fundamental core technically a competition? Because even if, we, if we, let's say we, there was a big EMP that happened two seconds from now, wiped out all the digital stuff. All of a sudden, we are back to competing for the food and water instantly. And we're just back down. Like you, like you're not going to take that fundamental truth out of life. So then it, I think it can actually flourish up from there. Um, yeah, with the biggest, my biggest complaint about, and what I think is, will potentially take down the meritocracy, which I, I just can't stand this, is the DEI. I like to call it DIE, the diversity, equity, inclusion. For all of that, it's like, uh, what, was, what was crazy to me is what happened, like growing up, you would listen to all these rappers like Jay-Z and Mac Miller, um, you name it. And Eminem, I think even mentioned him like Donald Trump used to be like in their eyes, this icon, icon in so many ways of like, oh yeah, look at this guy. He outcompeted everybody. He's this real estate mogul. Like this is who we're venerating in society. Whether, you know, there's plenty of bad that came with that, obviously. And then everything got flipped on its head in the last seven, ten, seven to 10 years. 
And now we don't venerate the capitalists. We don't venerate the we don't venerate the strong dad. We don't venerate the kind mother. We don't venerate this you know the nuclear the nuclear family. We don't venerate the competition. And it's tragic. It's totally tragic uh, because that's what just makes people better. Again, it comes from that struggle. It's like struggle is really good. It's really good for you. You come out better every single time and you're so thankful for the struggle. It's like when I come down the mountain after hiking and fishing all day, that soda water that I pull out of my cooler at the end of the day is like, I don't know if there could be a better reward. How much better does that taste rather than if I wouldn't have done that hike? I don't know, 10, 20 times better. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man. I had this conversation about, um, uh, equality and equity the other day with a, a client of mine. And, you know, usually I wouldn't, but she was, uh, pretty, pretty stern. She wanted to have the conversation and I just, I just, in my mind, I'm like, well, first off equality, what does that, what does that exactly mean? Does equality mean that we're all treated as humans? Of course. I mean, that's a given, like, if, if you don't feel like you're treated as a human right now, then it's, it's the greatest time to be alive. It's the easiest time to be alive. How could you, how could you feel that way? And if you do feel that way, I feel, I, I think that that's a, that's incorrect. Uh, but other than that, we are unequal in every single way. You know more about architecture than I do. I probably know more about golf or baseball or, or maybe even fatherhood. I mean, we're unequal uh, in uh, endlessly unequal. So for us to think that, you know, this lady, um, it should be the CEO of this company just because she's a lady is, is wild to me. And then I, I don't understand the equity part either. If we're only, if we're only worried about, you know, equity of what did you create something to have equity in? What equity of what? Or do you just feel like America is this uh, share of a business and you 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 should own some of it? I don't understand the argument there. Anytime someone has equity of anything, they helped create it or they invested in it and, and bought some of it. And I just think there's a whole herd of people that don't understand that concept, that they just feel like uh, we're super rich and they want some of it. and. It's just it scares the heck out of me because I love America so much that if if that's going to be uh, so many people's mindset, I mean, we're in trouble. That's that's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. It's, especially because those people, <laughs> those people are overwhelmingly the, the people who get char- uh, hired to do to be HR and then force the DEI. Those, those people are typically mostly women and they're mostly lean, very far left. And 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 what's scary about that then is then they can basically control the whole hiring process and they can revamp um, a company. I mean, within within a couple of years, if they really wanted to. So then that that changes the whole landscape. And, and it's not for the not for the best, for sure. Right. So I've pushed back on that several times in uh, public uh, podcasts like this and then in private. And, and I'm I don't actually try to make the argument of like, don't you mean, uh, let's say I push back on equality. Don't you guys, you know, the typical like conservative talking point, which is don't you guys mean that we just want an equal playing field? I actually my approach is, for instance, on the equity part is what do you mean by equity? 
like define it for me. Tell me, tell me what you mean by equity. Like, are we actually talking about taking property from one group of, of people and giving it to another? And I really, and it's so, so it's more about just exposing them. And then hopefully there's enough people listening that eventually, eventually uh, we regain the minority, or I mean, sorry, the majority in this situation of rationality and knowing that like, look, yes, 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 there has been some grievances against people in the past, certainly, but it's not limited to just black and brown people. Absolutely not. I mean, every single color and race and creed and gender and all this other stuff, everybody's been a victim of another person or another two type of people at some point in time. Like the whole history of humanity is conquering. The whole history of humanity is 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 competition. Um, and then, you know, the, vic the victor ends up winning and stuff like that. But like we're in this weird upside down clown world and we're just experimenting. And it's a horrible experiment. Um, that's going that's going to go awry like there's going it's going to come to a head I think it, people can just feel that energy happening like the, the, the divisiveness has never been higher at a high time the trust in media has never been lower the trust in Congress has never been lower the spending has never been higher like something is going to come to a head in this situation um, and I we're just in uncharted waters and I think that's probably where the anxiety comes from for maybe both of us is like it's uncharted water so how can you be comfortable with it yeah definitely um, and just like you said war has been the rule for thousands of years peace is the outlier so you know Rome started Rome started to fall when they stopped conquering you know that story's been told so many times and, and it, it seems to be true we're in uncharted waters for sure. Um, and just one more anecdote real quick. I live in a household or uh, my wife is a type A personality too. She's a leader at her company as well. And don't get me wrong. She is uh, much more, She her ability to focus is much better than mine. Her ability to uh, stay focused for a long period of time is better than, my, better than mine. If you are, um, you know, uh, meritable in a, a, you know, a value. If you bring value to a company, then you should get the job. It should be, you know, meritocracy is, was my point, but let's, let's move on to one other question here. Uh, we're going to run out of, run out of time. Um, can you recall your philosophies and opinions prior to having children? Now, how have they changed today? Uh, they, I didn't want kids right away. I, I actually thought I would never have kids. And uh, man, it went in a couple different cycles too. So uh, first kid is 100% not intentional. Um, but as soon as I found out that we were going to have that child, I instantly called uh, the mother of my children, told her I loved her, told her I'm not going anywhere and I will be here for the children. And then uh, I quit smoking, I quit drinking. I was like 21, right? So I mean, pure party mode. Um, and then I, I, so I took all of that and just, just ran with it and then have been going in that direction, you know, ever since then, then we had our second child about four years later and I would, I graduated college at that point and we moved to Colorado and really started to kind of establish some roots and stuff like that. And then I ended up getting a vasectomy um, when I was like 25. So I couldn't have any more kids. And, and, and now, now, and now that I'm pushing in the direction I am now, where I talked about maybe the trying to help my children have as big as families as they want. It, looking back on it, I would say that's one of my only few regrets 
in life. It, and I have very, very few because I believe in the providence of, and, and maybe I will lose this regret later in the, in the future. I just, maybe it just needs more time to kind of process through and everything. Cause maybe that is the conclusion is like, Oh, this, this, and this gave you the idea, Lance, of like being the backbone for your, for your ch kids. So you could have a bunch of grandchildren and that's how it'll get, you know, we'll, we'll work through that cycle and everything. Uh, because now I am of the opinion, like when we did combine families and everything was really peachy right away with our combined family, as they grew into teenagers, they just kind of grew disparate and apart. And it seems like that kind of is a, something that happens in blended families. But when, when they were all little, when they were all between like six and seven and about 12, those like six or seven years where we had a giant family compared to the average American family, basically twice as big as we had the four kids was some of the best years ever. It just felt right. It just felt like, oh gosh, I didn't realize that I would actually like having all these children. I thought it would be such a burden, but it's just, you're never bored. It gives you such an immense sense of purpose. And so I think that's, that's kind of my morph, my morphosis and how I'm, how I'm evolving. And maybe I've kind of predicted the future here for myself. So, man. That's cool. So you went from, you know, the average 21 year old guy that's partying, having a good time to a family man fairly quickly and then evolved that pretty quick as well to having a, you know, a larger family, twice the size of the of the normal family in America today. Um, quite amazing story. Lance, you've been an awesome guest Thank you so much for uh, coming on the dad hat. You want to plug any of your social medias or tell people where to find you? Yeah. If anybody wants to connect with me professionally, go to, go to linkedin.com and then just search in uh, Lance, L-A-N-C-E, last name, psycho, C-A-Y-K-O. And then if you want to keep up with anything that I'm doing podcast wise, you can go to inside the firm podcast.com. Check us out there. If you are of the entrepreneurial mind whatsoever, I think you'll enjoy what we put out on that show. Heck yeah. Thanks again, Lance. Thanks for having me, Lee. It's a pleasure.